Welcome to the A Sound Effect podcast, the podcast about sound effects. My name is Aspen Andersen, and I'm the founder of asoundeffect.com. And I'm Christian Hales here, founder of Hertz & Bits Sound Effects. Welcome to a special edition of the A Sound Effect podcast, featuring members of the sound team at IO Interactive, which, of course, are the creators of the Hitman game franchise. For about 20 years, this has been a very popular stealth game series with eight titles and a couple of spin-offs so far. And last month saw the release of part three in what the company calls the World of Assassination Trilogy. So the kind people from IO agreed to talk to me and, tiny spoiler alert here, they brought sound clips. I am here with Jonas, Ivo, and Gabriel from the audio team at IO Interactive, and they have agreed to talk about the sound work on the new Hitman 3 game. Hi guys, why don't you introduce yourselves and what you do? Hello, uh, my name is uh, Jonas Breum Jensen. I was uh, lead and principal sound designer on Hitman 3. Uh, I've been uh, working as a sound designer and an audio lead on a lot of Hitman games uh, here at IO Interactive. So I've been totally immersed in uh, Hitman sound design for more than 10 years. Uh, I'd like to mention also the awesome members of our team that are not part of this interview. So um, we also have uh, Stepan Buff, who was our lead audio programmer. And then we have uh, Sebastian Pole, who uh, worked as a senior sound designer on Hitman 3. Then we have Kieran Devlin Rush, who worked as a sound designer. And we have Christian Römer who also worked as a sound designer. I, of course, also want to give a shout out to our amazing composer on on all of the World of Assassination trilogy, Nils Bue Nielsen. And then here, virtually beside me. My, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my name is uh, Gabriel uh, Johannesson. Uh, I'm a sound designer here on at I.O. I started working here at in late 2019, so I've, I've been a part of Hitman 3. Uh, and I've been mostly in charge of uh, Dartmoor in Berlin. And uh, next to me here, we have... Ivo. Uh, hi, I'm Ivo Sisulak. Hi, Ivo. Um, hi, also a sound designer. Um, I joined a little bit later than Gabriel. I came on board in 2020. And uh, I worked mainly on uh, the last two missions, um, Mendoza and uh, Carpathian Mountains. And I also did uh, some of the UI sounds in Hitman 3. Ah, okay, so uh, Hitman 3 is, of course, the latest in what you call the World of Assassination trilogy. Uh, so I was wondering, what would you say the main difference would be from the trilogy to the older games from an audio perspective? Um, so if you look at just the entire uh, Hitman franchise, uh, all of the games, then there's one game that stands out from all the other ones. That's Hitman Absolution, which is actually the game I started on. So uh, we have the first games they uh, they kind of defined the formula. It's a sandbox game. It's a murder simulator. There's a lot of uh, also storytelling elements combined with a lot of freedom of choice. And then for Absolution, uh, we wanted to do something completely different and challenge ourselves. So that's more like a linear, uh, it's almost a road movie. That was uh, a big inspiration at least. Um, so that one really stands out. And then for the World of Assassination trilogy, that has been a lot about getting back to our roots, trying to do a modern take based on the formula that was defined in the first place. So in that that sense, you could say that the trilogy is riffing a lot on uh, the earlier games. But of course, we learned a lot on Hitman Absolution about game design and about the Hitman game, but also about audio. We didn't we didn't just throw that out. We of course we're standing on the shoulders of uh, Absolution as well, even though that was the odd one out. Yeah, makes sense. You never stop learning. No. There's a lot of uh, of technological uh, improvements as well, of course, that uh, defines the playground, uh, the boundaries of the playground we're, we're playing on uh, as an audio team. So a big thing I would say is that uh, the trilogy is made for a different uh, console generation yeah. than Absolution and the games before. And with that, 
you had a lot more resources with streaming bandwidth and memory resources than we did before. So basically, we could go crazy on, in the audio team. It felt like that, <laughs> like on variation and the level of detail of environment, ambient sounds, and also kind of the detail level in the music, which are, these are some of the key elements, has always been the key elements in, in the audio and the Hitman games. Yeah. So that was just amazing for us to be able to, like, maybe you can say, move the key limitation from being a technologically imposed limitation, moving it instead to being uh, your imagination that would uh, set, set the limits. That was one big thing. Another thing I would like to mention as well is that for the trilogy, we have... Um, designed a really cool propagation and occlusion tech feature. By us, I mean, uh, especially Stepan Wolf, our lead program, of course. And that has changed the way, I think, in which we uh, think about designing a soundscape. Uh, could you explain really quickly what that means if to for people who are not uh, that much into game audio, occlusion and... Yeah, so basically we are simulating a 3D world in the sound design we do. Mm-hmm. So with propagation, I mean, how does a 3D sound placed in that world, how does it travel through the world? Okay, acoustically. Acoustically, yes. How does it react to different uh, things that might be in the way of yeah. the sound source and the listener? Oh, yeah. So all kinds of concerns around that problem. In the earlier games before our new system, I think you can say, if I exaggerate a little bit, that we were mainly concerned uh, about the world that was close around the player. We wanted to have a really cool mood in the environment you're in. Uh-huh. And we were we had a lot of your voice limitations and stuff like that that just made, made sense then to focus on the close sounds because they would often be the ones you would have to react on. Yeah. Those were... Uh, the main threats, for example, if, if, if it's uh, NPCs, mm-hmm. things like that. With our new system, we would have a lot more depth of the environment because now we could f- also focus on the environments that were adjacent to the player and even far away. So that, that gives a, a much bigger world. So I think uh, sound design is a lot about not what you see on the camera, but what you have in the periphery. That that's kind of simulates the, that there is actually a... Um, a breathing world around you yeah. that has that has consequence. So that was really cool for us to kind of widen our uh, perspective uh, with these sounds, and that that, that makes makes it possible for us as audio designers to inspire the player to explore, because now you suddenly hear an interesting soundscape that might be behind in that direction somewhere. You you're curious, you want to go. Uh, examine it or you will hear something that will inform your gameplay in in other ways maybe um, when when you can hear where a gunshot is coming from it's a much higher detail level then of course that will inform how you you react and what strategies you come up with uh, as a player yeah okay did you actually use that in uh, sort of i mean actively to shape the gameplay and and that sort of thing we did a lot in in terms of the new trilogy compared to the older games. I, I, I used to play the, the older games when I was younger. And uh, I think th- to me, the main difference is th- this trilogy is really focused on more like a, a grand spectacle. And it's been more like larger than life, like living, breathing worlds compared to the older games, which were a, bo- a lot more, you know, confined. Um, I guess mostly because of uh, technical limitations, but still it was a, a very like confined, still like, very dynamic experience, but very, very sort of confined. Whereas now, uh, these uh, very large living environments uh, sort of goes very hand in hand with what we're doing technically with with the occlusion and everything. That uh, now that we have a much more large and living world, uh, mm. the expectations of how sound behaves in this world also also are uh, higher than before. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So in that sense, you could say we went back to the sandbox that we uh, had in the early games. After Absolution, we went back to the sandbox, but we uh, expanded it and uh, tried to do a, a modern take on, on the sandbox. And I, th- and I think an interesting thing about our design approach that uh, changed maybe from or that we learned from Absolution was that we don't want to do a, a sandbox that's uh, close to what you would see in an open world game. Mm-hmm. 
uh, where you, everything is just free. That's not we act, what we are actually going for. We want to combine yeah. that with having uh, more hand-tailored uh, things where it feels like the stuff you do has consequence and it's actually directed in a way. So I, I, th- I think that to uh, maybe use a little bit of a cliche, we want some kind of cinematic feeling in your sandbox as well. Uh, we want it to feel orchestrated. I think that informs our the design approach we do a lot in the trilogy. That's something that we've, we've just practiced a lot in. How do we actually think about this? If we want the sound design to both be a world in itself, but we also want it to feel like it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start doing things, you start messing around. That's basically two different types of dramaturgy yeah. that you need to be able to design for at the same time. I think that's what we've been practicing as a team a lot on these uh, on these three games. So that's a that's an ongoing an ongoing development really for you. So so it's not so much about as I understand it, technology has lets you do this, but it's really a, a kind of design process to learn. Very much so. Um, there's also some stylistic changes. At least if we look at Hitman Three, that game uh, is has a tonal uh, difference to the other two uh, games in the trilogy. It's basically much darker. Okay. Much more personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully it doesn't feel like a deviation. Hopefully it feels like a, something that makes sense uh, with the overarching story of the trilogy that you kind of, it becomes more and more uh, personal as you get closer and closer to the characters and closer and closer to the uh, climax of the trilogy story. So it should feel like a, a natural development sort of uh, dramatically. Yeah, okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And a lot of the way we approach stylistic and creative choices uh, in these games it's always a ping pong between something that is the world of assassination that kind of the professional layer and then the actual places you visit making them feel so we want it to feel like italy when you are in sapienza and we want that to have a unique flavor but we also want to contrast it between uh, like the cold-hearted uh, killer and the uh, institution that 47 and Diana are working for. There's always that kind of ping-pong thing. So I think think that's what hopefully also makes it feel consistent, that you always have the the backdrop of the of the world of assassination. Yeah. So you still feel feel that you know where you're coming from compared to also the older games, I guess, uh, the two previous games in the trilogy. Yeah. And then we keep, uh, for example, you has been working a lot on um, uh, menu sounds and UI sounds and things like that. So, yeah. but, so what he's basically doing there is to evolve the sound of the cold world of assassination. And then with the way our games are structured, then when you play uh, Hitman 2016 okay. now, the first game in the trilogy, then you will play the updated version of the world of assassination. That's the menu sounds you will hear and uh, things like that. So we have that that we kind of evolve so it doesn't sound like what modern would sound like in 2016. It sounds like what our take on a uh, uh, modern cold institution, okay. what would their interface sound like in uh, 2021. Right. So I guess we should talk about, uh, or one thing I was wondering about was was how you uh, sort of define um, the roles of different sounds uh, in the game. Like, I mean, there would be in in my world, there's something like uh, ambient sounds or, or and uh, specifics and uh, foley stuff. So how do you go about sort of defining the roles of those sounds? How do you use them? Yes. So pretty much, for me at least, uh, like before starting work on on any sound. Uh, always look into like what role like what purpose does this sound have uh, oftentimes it's multi-purpose but uh, it can range from something that's just purely functional it needs to be something there as long as it's not quiet it does its job uh, all the way to uh, purely like emotional function where like a lot of the the music is a very good example of this is like the only role it fills is to convey a certain emotion to the player mm-hmm. but a lot of the times for for hitman 3 it's uh, uh, very much a combination of of everything. Uh, if, if I'm going to use uh, ambiences, like you mentioned, like an environment sounds as, as, as an example. Uh, of course, since Hitman is a very realistic game, oh, not, not okay, that's, okay, that's an uh, over-exaggeration. <laughs> it's set in a very realistic world. Yes, that makes sense. Of course, everything is based in reality. Uh, like, for example, in, in, in Dartmoor, yeah. like, um, uh, of course, it's based on 
what would fit in that environment and what it looks like and everything. But at the end of the day, for Hitman 3 and I guess for the previous two games in the trilogy, um, the most important thing is does these sounds fit the mood that we're going for with this specific location and game overall? Like uh, if, I, if I just take like the some of the birds that we have on, on Dartmoor, uh, of course they're based in like, is this a bird that you would hear in England or in this area of England? But yeah. that doesn't mean I just throw in any bird into in level. Of course, the, the, the call of this bird needs to fit the overall tone and mood that we're going for. So it's, it's yeah, yeah. always a balance between is this uh, fe- like realistic or like uh, feasible, I guess, versus mm. what fits the, the, the overarching uh, tonal idea and mood of what we're going for, pretty much. Um, yeah. uh, I can actually tie into what Gabriel said last with the birds. Um, so for for Argentina, for Mendoza, uh, I we we always do a little bit of research so that we, uh, like Gabriel said, we don't just throw in um, a uh, a bird that you only find in Europe. We we put in a soundscape that's in South America. So yeah, we do yeah. that research, um, and unfortunately, uh, Argentina is one of those countries that hasn't been um, as uh, as uh, recorded as other countries has, um, oh, although okay. it has such a rich uh, and uh, diverse uh, soundscape with Patagonia in the in the in the bottom, it's like it's got s- like so many different species. But there hasn't been that many, or there haven't been that many uh, bundles and recordings in that area. So it was very hard for me to find good uh, uh, source material for for that, for example. Uh, and this yeah. limitation. Um, led to us sort of thinking uh, how do we how do we solve this how do we solve this problem of not finding the right birds to to put uh, all over the, the the level and and then we also um, we shifted uh, I think for hitman 3 we also shifted the way we we approach these levels um, stepping away a little bit from this very literal approach of um, this level is in um, in China uh, on a rainy day um, with a lot of lights, um, surely th- there will be uh, Chinese music playing from the off. Um, uh, and um, stepping away from that and uh, being a little bit more creative and being a little bit like infusing some sort of abstract elements, some surreal elements, um, and uh, sort of adding a, a different flavor to the very naturalistic. Uh, approach that I think we the, the the prequels had, which were very sort of very straightforward, uh, naturalistic sounding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's something that's that's very true for Hitman Three at least is that uh, since the tone is is darker, we're more focused on on the story this time around. Uh, for the audio team, that meant that uh, for each location, the the main uh, inspiration, uh, I guess I could say, is. What is what is forty seven's like mental state? Where where are we at in the story? Like that was always the main influencer in the 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 overall soundscape of these locations. Um, instead of just being it, it's, instead of it just being purely literal, yeah. uh, pretty yeah. much. So that and, and and that goes in for like not just the environment sounds, it goes for all the sounds like the UI sounds that we talked about and mm-hmm. and everything. Okay. Like all the new okay. things we've made for Hitman three. Uh, are influenced based on where they're going to be used and the, the the mood of where you're at in the story at, at, at a specific point. Yeah. So you didn't. So you didn't attempt to be strictly realistic for you know at any cost. If it made more sense to to sort of uh, work work with the mood instead. Exactly. More the other way around. Okay. We we first wanted to go with the mood, and then we wanted to be realistic enough so that uh, it would it wouldn't break immersion. I think uh, Sebastian Pole he uh, he coined I think a really uh, nice kind of way of describing that style. He, I think he called it um, believable realism with surrealistic accents. I think that <laughs> for me that's uh, <laughs> that sounds like something I want to do. Sounds very very fancy and <laughs> yeah. smart. Yeah, like it's that. a clever way to yeah 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 a uh, clever way to avoid uh, criticism of putting the wrong birds into. The <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So about recording, did you? So I guess you didn't send a recording team to uh, to Argentina or 
Um, no, I think for, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, Jonas, but I think for uh, Hitman 2, uh, you had an um, expedition team um, that went to, to Mumbai um, to do some source recording and uh, do some research. Uh, unfortunately, because of time uh, and budget constraints, uh, uh, it was not possible for, and also uh, us being in the pandemic, uh, I think uh, yeah, made a, yeah. a lot of uh, <laughs> um, long distance field recording um, impossible. But yeah. um, we did um, record uh, when we had the chance and in our vicinity. I think our, uh, or at least when I, I joined the team, I uh, because I've, I've uh, also, um, I actually have two bundles on a sound effect uh, that I that I made uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I have a bit of a um, uh, passion for for field field recording and i uh i kind of uh, insisted on recording um a lot of the the sounds um but i think the the vibe in general um is that we we want to be creative also in our source material and in our recordings and try and um uh, balance the use of library sounds with uh with our own recordings so um and um there are a couple of cool stories um uh, that i could uh mention so for example on uh, on uh, dartmoor and this was one of my first tasks um uh, we we wanted to create this sort of howling uh, through throughout the, the the mansion like like the wind um that you heard outside which was very like uh it's almost like this this entity this creature that like um, um uh, flies around and uh, it has a, has a has a spirit and this thing also affects the mansion. And um, so I had um, I was tasked to uh, create some wind draft sounds for the for the insides. Um, and um, uh, just as a joke, uh, Jonas was like, "Yeah, so why don't you just uh, like uh, whistle through your teeth and uh, and try and record <laughs> that and like pitch that down?" And then uh, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, well, why not?" Um, so. Uh, uh, I was at the time living in Copenhagen in a very small room as part of my onboarding. And so in this small room after work, I recorded like a couple of uh, couple of minutes of just me um, whistling through my teeth and uh, <laughs> whistling into cupboards and like trying to create these interesting, like resonant um, sort of uh, airy um, uh, sounds. And um, yeah. Uh, after processing them a little bit and adding some some reverbs and and pitching them down, um, I think they actually work quite well to give to give a, a little bit of like tonal texture to the to the to the mansion. Like in the beginning, they were way like overboard um, and way too 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 dominant. But in like after a couple of mix passes, I think they they've um, worked quite well and they actually ended up sounding uh, I think at least very. Uh, close to what uh, wind could sound like so um, i think it also helps that uh since the idea was to have this sort of like a living building thing that uh, that you ha like if you really listen to it you can hear a hint of of uh, something more personal than just a normal wind draft i think mm. that really adds to the 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 end results in a nice way mm. Could you mention a little bit about how we also used it uh, as a storytelling device and, and gameplay? I think that's super interesting. I think you know more about that. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, in the beginning, it was a little bit um, vague what we what we actually do with these, uh, and I had a, like had a full folder of um, just different kinds of uh, textured um, wind drafts, and then um, I, we just like I just dumped them into the like into the soundscape and. Uh, uh, it was at first just like an ambient sort of um, filler um, to give uh, the different areas in the mansion like a little bit of a variation in, in their in their tone. Uh, but then uh, we um, there are these secret um, rooms that you can um, that you can go into in the mansion that you can discover, and um, bef before you sort of discover how to how to get into them. Um, we wanted to play on this thing of um, that before you get the cue to interact with it, we want you to hear it. So um, uh, we we uh, sort of placed these draft sounds um, next to the, the, the opening of uh, where the, the secret entrance is. So 
Ah. You hear a little bit of a like wood rattle, but you also hear like a draft uh, coming from there, sort of inviting you in and um, <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, sort of enticing you to explore um, explore this um, room. And it was also so this would be kind of literal secrets that you could find in the building. So here you have a, a draft because there is a hole in the wall. So yeah. that kind of make, that makes sense in a realistic way as well. But then we expanded upon it to be, okay, we want to tell the story about a house full of secrets. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, concretely in that level, there is a, a quite intricate uh, murder mystery going on. So you can basically become a detective and uh, find all of these clues and stuff like that. And so we, um, we worked with the idea, what if the house has a, a spirit that wants you to uncover the secrets? Yeah. So basically, uh, the drafts going around in, will kind of excite uh, objects associated to the queue. So maybe there's a paper note you can find somewhere, for example, with a clue on it. You, ah. you would make sure that that would kind of be lifted a little bit by, by the draft and have some rattling sounds that would kind of inspire you to go look for it. And that, that sort of thing, uh, I think, was, uh, was really cool. I think it's also worth, worth mentioning in, 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 in tandem with that... Uh, uh, in combination with, uh, we focused a lot of making things uh, sort of not, not realistic, but very living in a sense, like I mentioned before, is that all, all of these indoor drafts, at least uh, like 90% of them, they're all uh, connected to what's going on outside. Like around the mansion, we also have some like wind gusts and like that will then excite, uh, like a, a open window will start rattling and stuff. But inside the oh, mansion, yeah. when an a wind gust rolls by, that will then trigger gusts inside the mansion that will then yep. trigger these uh, secret clues and everything. Ah, so we worked okay. a lot of like so, making everything feel connected and-, and Reactive. Kind of, yeah. yeah, reactive is a good word for it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. tied together. That that sounds that sounds really nice. <laughs> I'm a big wind fan myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <Yeah. laughs> You're gonna love Dartmoor. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, um, right. Um, uh, wind uh, or the weather was um, uh, maybe uh, Jonas. Uh, this is maybe something that you 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 can still talk about is uh, the the sort of main th motifs or the main themes that we had for the audio direction, uh, which were um, the the weather and the train. Um, so I think maybe this is a little bit more uh, general audio direction where I can maybe say that. In the first game in the trilogy, what we our main goal there was to define the agent fantasy. Mm. What does it sound like to be a, a super agent spy? What does, does this modern spy thriller sound like? That was the main goal. So there, the way it was uh, put a lot on the kind of the world of assassination, modern agent thing. Then for Hitman 2, after that, we went more into the main goal is to make sure that the locations are prevalent. We wanted them to be very living and breathing and exciting and unique in their own way. And those, there's a lot of uh, contrast in those locations. They are very different from each other in Hitman 2. That's where we put our weight. Okay. Um, for Hitman 3, the uh, weight is on the closing the story, the uh, narrative beats and the key uh, emotional development of the main characters. That's what will inform all of the choices we do. Of course, uh, music was a, a, a big kind of a device we could use for that. Yeah. Uh, we knew, but we also wanted the audio as a whole to portray that. Yeah, okay. So uh, one thing we did concretely was that we defined the, uh, the state of mind as uh, Gabriel mentioned, for each of the locations. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, you hear this location, it has to be uh, believable enough so that you have the immersion and you hear what you expect. But we are not going to do the literal environment. We're going to do the environment as perceived through a temperament. Yeah, That's the temperament of 47. So therefore, it was important to say what state of mind is he in at a given given time, right? So that was one thing we did, kind of pinpointed the state of mind, uh, mood keywords we wanted in the different uh, parts of the game. Yeah. Another thing we did was that we came up with uh, two light motifs 
that we wanted to use uh, in sound design and also in music and made sure we kind of had a, a designed almost like a, a score. We kind of wanted to orchestrate. Oh yeah. When is it the sound design that uh, uses these light motifs? When is it the music and when are they, they in tandem uh, using these things? And as uh, Ivo mentioned, one of these motifs was weather. Mm-hmm. So we basically had the idea, okay, uh, 47, he's a cold-blooded uh, sociopath killer. He's also <laughs> your hero. Strangely. Uh, so he is he is basically cold to uh, everything. We take it a little bit further in this game because he is in, emotionally invested. So we wanted then instead to use the weather to show his bottle in emotion. Ah, uh, Okay. So yeah. a lot of the wind you will hear and the violent rain you will hear and yeah. the uh, crackling dryness you will hear and stuff like that, that's meant to represent the inner state of 47. So maybe you could say that uh, we have these evil villains that are the targets in the location and they, they have maybe sucked out the life of the uh, locations and made them cynical uh, mm-hmm. in, in the ways they do that. And now you get this force of nature who's coming in. Uh, he's on the surface level cold, but he has a lot of bottled up rage that justifies uh, kind of cleaning out the location for, from these uh, villains. That, so that was, was how we used the weather a lot. Ah, okay. Um, and the other motif was uh, the train. So we, throughout the game, we have uh, sprinkled a lot of um, train sounds as metaphors so you'll hear a lot of surreal train sounds and you will hear literal train sounds we have talked a lot about where we want to use them and to make sure that it had its own kind of uh, climax uh, we also used it in music so in some places in uh, in the score you will hear like uh, you will hear a reference to train sounds uh, maybe in the pulse of the music uh, or you will hear references to uh, train uh, whistles and stuff like that in the music. Forty-seven. They're everywhere. Go, get out. It's the Constantine. Shit. Also here in the sound design, as more surreal um, sweeteners and sounds, for example, in the UI, and but also in the abstract, dreamy parts, okay. and you will hear it concretely where it becomes, okay, now I can actually hear that there's a train coming. So kind of going between these was something we did a, a lot. And why, why, why did we use a train? There is. <laughs> <laughs> we had a really good uh, recording of a train, so no. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to go too much into sp- Spoiler territory, maybe, no. oh, but I can don't. say that a train will play an important role in the game. Oh, okay. So that that's the concrete um, justification for it. And and actually, um, there's one of the key characters has been associated with a train throughout the trilogy. The first time you meet that character is actually a conversation taking part in a train. Uh, way back in Hitman 2016. Uh-huh. So that connection was already in there. We didn't know at that time about any uh, train motif uh, or anything like that. So we, I think we were just lucky and we could kind of, it, it uh, somehow made sense already that way. So, but so, so mm-hmm. that these are the literal connections. But the story about 47 is all about purpose. Yeah. And it's all about. Uh, who gives you purpose? So 47, he doesn't really have any purpose himself. He is directed all the time. Someone controls him, basically. And yeah. a lot of the story is about the fight of that control. Is it uh, Diana, his handler? Is it the villain who controls him? Who really calls the shot it's behind the scene? So you have this power struggle between Diana and uh, 
and the main villain, they both want to control 47 and keep him on rails controlled like a train rolling where you can predict where he's going, ah, right? Ah, on rails. But what happens with 47 if he wants to break away from, from that and have freedom? Yeah. So there was something interesting in the story there that also deals with the... Um, as, as we talked a little bit about, when we design the, a sandbox, we want you to have freedom, but we also want it to feel like you have purpose when you play. That kind of design uh, schism is mirrored in the story in an interesting way. You want to keep the player on the rails, so to speak, but also uh, to to do a bit of exploration. Yes. Oh, See you what didn't you did think there. about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can credit you Thanks. can credit me. <laughs> <laughs> so the, a train is something that it's uh, it's very nice when someone tells you what to do. Yeah. But it's also very nice to have freedom. But mm-hmm. uh, too much freedom might then you might start missing the purpose if you uh, have too much uh, freedom. Yeah. So that kind of interesting dilemma yeah that's where the train fits in so the train and the weather they both represent something positive and negative at the same time but we we flavor it a little bit differently yeah okay. depending on where in the story we are okay all right so another interesting question of course is how do you design sound for a game where you're supposed to be quiet most of the time to be stealthy and uh, i mean obviously uh, you have some uh, you have some experience in that with uh, with all the Hitman games, but um, but how did you how did you approach it for this one? Um, <clears throat> so uh, thinking that since we've had uh, twenty years of uh, stealth game experience, I think uh, um, I was definitely tried out a, a couple of different takes on on the genre, uh, and um, I think it's fair to say that we've also shaped the genre in a in a way. Um, so in terms of the sound, I think looking just at the uh, World of Assassination trilogy, um, the first two games, uh, 2016 and 2018, um, I think st- stealth was, uh, or it was a little bit more flamboyant, like uh, everything you did and everything, uh, uh, how you, how stealth sounded was very, yeah, very um, passionate and very like uh, bold and uh, and more. I think focused on uh, on the the act of killing and um, I think uh, uh, or taking someone out. And I think with with the third one, I think we've uh, tried to highlight um, highlight forty seven a little bit more <clears throat> and make his actions feel more uh, more weighty, more impactful. Um, which is hard because Hello? impactful uh, uh, naturally means with more force or with, uh, or I don't know, louder. Um, yeah, louder. So uh, that was a challenge because uh, we still wanted to make, let's say we wanted to make the guns and we wanted to make um, the, 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 the punching, the, the close combat sounds still, still feel impactful, mm-hmm. um, which is not technically stealthy no. so uh, th- this balance between um, making uh, the actions feel impactful um, uh, and still maintaining uh, this uh, character of being an assassin uh, which we or uh, like a ninja we, we associate uh, very quiet movement uh, almost non-audible um, which is tricky in a game because uh, then you don't have that auditory feedback um, and we, we, I think we, we, um, we managed to find a nice middle ground between that. Uh, we reworked a couple of sounds that we, uh, that um, were, in our opinion, a little bit too, uh, too flamboyant for uh, uh, for the, the the third part. So we toned stuff down. We um, adjusted some of the sounds. Uh, we made it a little bit. We, we aligned it a little bit more with the the, the audio direction. Uh, to make it feel more um, more uh, distinct, more uh, clinical, um, we also um, used some of the uh, gameplay mechanics, like um, the instinct mode, which is the mode where you can see through walls and you can uh, you see certain objects hi- highlighted. Um, we want um, we actually reworked that to um, be more 
uh, be more useful to you and uh, as, as a tool to highlight certain certain things. So um, in the previous games, instinct mode was pretty much just uh, all the sounds that were in the world that were just uh, muffled. But uh, um, we wanted to go a, a level deeper with that and uh, uh, only muffle the sounds that were uh, unimportant to yeah. Uh, what you were doing, like the in, the ambience, the environment that was not sort of crucial to sort of your objectives and your and the mechanics um. to give the player a bit more focus in that situation. Yeah, I think also something that that uh, is uh, I guess completely new for Hitman Three is that uh, instead of just, for example, for a, for a, when you take someone out from behind, like choke them out, instead of just that sounding violent and intense like it used to. We, like you said, reworked that, uh, like all the folding and everything. But then instead, we we added some some abstract, more stingers to like specific stealth actions to, uh, in a more, um, like, not believable because it's an abstract sound, but uh, in a in a nice sounding way that still makes sense for the game uh, to highlight these uh, these uh, cool stealth actions instead. Yeah. Okay. So it's what you would call. What do you call it in film? Non-diegetic, right? I mean, it's it's not it's not taking place in the scene. It's it's outside of the scene in a way, but the the viewer or the player understands what it's about. Yeah, other games do it as well. Like uh, in in Valhalla, for example, um, uh, which I've also been playing. When you take someone out, uh, uh, when you jump on someone and and and, and assassinate them, uh, there's mm-hmm. a there's this. Uh, imp- impact like this boom sound which like you don't hear when you when when you stab someone it's uh it's like a yeah. uh, an exact exaggeration uh, but it, it it adds to the weight it adds to the to this feeling of uh damn that was a that was a powerful move that i just did uh, yeah so it's more emotional i guess than 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 real in that sense yeah so so that also fits perfectly in what with what we were going for with Hitman 3 and just focusing on the mood and tonal aspects of everything, just uh, tying everything together from 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 the menu, menu sounds into the actual game sounds and, and everything. Basically, in that way, maybe making a contract as well with, uh, with the player. So, okay, you understand that uh, you feel powerful, but you also understand that the NPCs, they are not hearing the sound. So one thing, of course, uh, I have to ask is about the whole COVID-19 situation. Uh, sort of to uh, to round things off, I guess it must have been uh, it must have been a problem for you as as well as for anyone else. How does a, a large team like you? How do you work with audio remotely like that? How does that work? I think uh, in a way I felt very lucky being a sound designer uh, under COVID. Mm-hmm. Because I think what I love about game audio is that uh, it's all about escapism. That's true. It's basically yeah. you're going to build you're building a world that we ask a player to live in. It it uh, has to be something that uh, portrays a world, and but it it should do it in a way where it inspires the imagination of the player. Yeah. And to be able to do that, then you as a designer have to go there <laughs> and design that world. You have to escape. And you have to, yeah. You have to escape, and you're playing with your own imagination, right? Yeah. And and that was just a complete a privilege to have that place to go mm. in uh, under lockdown and with the cabin fever and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Just to have a good good reason to go yeah. to that place. It's your job, actually. And hit, <laughs> yeah, it's it's our job, and and Hitman is just great for that because it's a it's a game about uh, where in some games, I guess the environments are not the most important thing. Mm-hmm. In Hitman, it's one of the most important things. And it's a global trotting game. So you are going to go to very different locations. Yeah. And if you can't take a plane and hop somewhere, then it's nice to go to work and then you can you have to go to... Uh, <laughs> to be somewhere <laughs> to, uh, else. Sun, sunny Mendoza. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that was especially that was. in especially in VR. Uh, like it, it really feels like you're 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 taking a holiday in the yeah. 
Yes, you call that work. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. We're lucky, for sure. <laughs> so, but there, were there any sort of uh, technical difficulties? I mean, in terms of design process of not being in the same room. I mean, uh, sort of having to. Uh, we were sort of, of of lucky in a way that uh, we have just pretty much very recently opened up a, a second studio here in, in, in Malmö where me and Evo are at and Jonas is in, in Copenhagen. So we'd already sort of started planning a little bit for more uh, disconnected teams uh, in a way. So we'd already s- sort of started thinking about that. Uh, so we were in, in, a, in, in a very good position to just uh, ramp those things up to, to 11 instead. Uh, so uh, I think I- Io was very good at taking the, the whole pandemic seriously in, in, in the beginning and sending people home and everything. Yeah. Um, but I think the majority of the audio team has been, been lucky that uh, we've been able to, to uh, like get to work without public transportation. And because we already sit in our own rooms anyways, uh, it made sense that we were uh, part of the very few who were still working from office. At the, I've, I've been at the office the entire pan- pandemic. But uh, in terms of how we work, it definitely changed a few things. We, uh, uh, we started having more like daily morning things to just like chat with each other and update each other, which really helped as well as instead of like the, the normal hitman way of working on, on, on locations is that each, each person has a location that they own and work on. Instead of just being isolated to your place, we instead started doing like um, focus periods where like a, a bunch of us would work on the same level and get that uh, up to like a, a good enough state and then we would move on. To the next level so we tried to work together as much as we could uh, which i think it it turned out to be both an effective way of working for our levels because we we had a lot of levels a lot of stuff needed to be gun- done so getting all of that up to a decent state early on was super helpful because then we could then go back and just finish up the the, the last polished stuff on our own uh, but then also it was very beneficial to actually work together and and it, it really for me at least it very very much helped uh, with uh, keeping the, the the team spirit up. Yeah, that makes sense. So what's what's next for you guys? I know for for, for me at least, I've, I've I've already moved on from Hitman. I'm I'm working on the the James Bond project already. Ah. Uh, okay. So uh, yeah. for me, it's uh, it's uh, many many new great things going on right now. <laughs> it's a of course there's a limitation to what we can mention about uh, uh, next next steps. Uh, but uh, what has already been said, of course, the uh, the 007 project has been uh, announced. There's uh, other interesting stuff going on uh, IO Interactive, and uh, it has always it was openly said that this is the Hitman uh, World of Assassination. It's a trilogy, and we want to close down that story in a satisfying way. We wanted to have a closure of its own to leave um, the characters and the world of assassination in a good place for what, what might be the next steps. So maybe maybe a trilogy part four, <laughs> as we sometimes see. <laughs> that would break the trilogy part of it at least. Yeah, we'll see about that, I guess. Well, we are almost out of time, but I understand you guys have a little request. You are looking to hire some more sound people. Yeah, um, uh, having concluded the the Hitman Three trilogy, um, we are we have some super exciting projects um, uh, in the works, um, and uh, one of them being um, 007. But there are uh, more things coming, uh, more exciting things, and uh, we would uh, love to also uh, bring new people on board and and grow um, grow the, the the studio. I think. Um, uh, so if um, yeah, if if uh, if anyone's out there and uh, looking at uh, uh, working with some cool uh, audio peeps, <laughs> some cool dudes, <laughs> some cool guys, um, yeah, uh, I think we're a, we're a fun squad of people to work with. Over and out. <laughs> Over and out. That sounds like a great opportunity. <laughs> right, we'll pass it on. Anyway. Thanks so much for uh, for joining me, and uh, hope to hope to talk to you some other time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Thanks for your time. Me as well. It's been a yeah. pleasure. See ya. Bye bye.
if you're looking for more podcasts about sound, check out these uh, greetings from our friends in the audio podcasting community, and uh, you'll find them all at audiopodcast.org. On Tonebender Sound Design Podcast, we talk to the Mandalorian's mixer, Bonnie Wilde. If we get this wrong, people gonna be mad at us. <laughs> and the more we talk to people working in sound, the more we find out that they are just trying to figure out what works. Like Dave Whitehead, who had no idea how to make the spaceship sounds for District 9. Until he tried. A vibrator shoved into a dobro guitar. And hopefully after a while, you gain enough experience. Like 15-time Oscar nominee, Randy Tom. The most interesting stuff almost always happens when you're in the process of doing it. And you hope you get it perfect, like Steve Bodecker did on Black Panther. You can create in people's imagination something far more terrifying than they could ever see. On Tone Vendors, we talk with the incredible artists doing sound for your favorite films, TV shows, and games. They tell us how they finally figured it out. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts or visit ToneBendersPodcast.com. We didn't even get to take phone calls on, like, yeah. Joe Dorowski <laughs> films, line two. Hi, all. This is Becky and Susan from the Sound Girls Podcast, where we speak to audio professionals from all walks of life. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. and listen to the amazing array of sound humans talk about how they got into the biz. And a few cool things, like roadie nicknames and fizzy water preferences. You can find the Sound Girls podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, soundgirls.org. That's it for this episode. Thanks a bunch to Jonas, Evil, and Gabriel from IO Interactive for being on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the Soundfact podcast at asoundfact.com slash podcast. Thanks a lot for listening and see you next time. Take care. Thank you.